0: Um, one of the things I wanted to do is, as we look at the story of Jesus, is look at all the different players within the narrative of Jesus, okay? Because sometimes I think we get to Christmas and we go, we know the story. Jesus born in a manger. Some magi come along and hang out with him. There's animals gathered around, you know. The magi walk in and give him all these gifts. Um, but there's a few significant players in the story and one of the things I think is really important is understanding two contexts, right? And the first context that I want to play, is going to be a video, um, is the context of Christianity today. So they did something called the NCLS Survey, and that's the National Church Life Survey, and they asked a whole bunch of significant questions about faith and about church. And this is a short three-minute video on those results. So that, that's the context in which we play church. That's the, that's the context in which we find ourselves today. Everybody is not out on church. The data shows it. That's kind of exciting. Forty-four percent of people see there's there's a place for it. Forty-four uh, percent, and then when you break down what they should be doing, you go, well, oh, you're kind of in the ballpark of what a sh- church should be doing. We right. A significant part of my role is to marry people and to bury people, right? That's a pretty big thing. Um I have had the great pleasure of marrying some people in our church. And I, I think similarly have had the pleasure of uh, burying people in our church as hard as that is. Yeah? There's a beautiful way to send a person off knowing that they're going to glory. You know, you get that um, uh, snot cry, that giggle as you remember the good times and weep as you say farewell to the loved one. It's important. We get to welcome people in with baby dedications. We get to celebrate new life with baptisms. There's a whole bunch of different places where church slips into the narrative. And so I think we can say that people are hostile to religion, but the data doesn't kind of support that completely, right? There is a good and healthy place for the church in society. And one of the things I want to do is look at our story of Jesus. So if you got your Bibles? Open them up to Matthew Chapter 2, and we're going to look at one particular player in the story of Jesus, King Herod today. We're starting with a bang. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chiefs, priests, teachers of the law, and he asked them, where is the Christ, Uh, where the Christ was to be born, they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what was written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." And then Herod called in the Magi secretly and found out from then the exact time that the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go, make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report him to me so that I might too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, um, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. Um, And having been warned about a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. Okay. So what kind of environment? Was Jesus born into? 44% of Australians are okay with the church being in there. Well, let's look at it. It's a tumultuous beginning for Jesus. The Romans had pushed out the Hasmonean kingdom in about 63 AD, and an official named Antipater was installed as the governor of the land of Israel. Okay, Antipater and his son Phasael are in charge of... I'm not going to get any of these names right, so if you come up and correct me afterwards, I just don't care because I can't actually say it. Um, um, He's put in charge of uh, Judah and Herod is in charge of Galilee. And then about 40 BC, the Parthians invade. Okay? And when that happens, Herod's brother is captured and uh, he commits suicide. Okay? Herod barely escapes. He ends up in Masada. Um, Masada is an incredible place. It's this giant um, hill fortress. It's the last um, place of defense um, uh, for the Jewish people, right? So this is an incredible place. If you've seen um, uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, Masada is Helm's Deep, okay? There's, there's some significance there. Uh, so he goes and hides out there, okay. Before fleeing to Rome for help, okay. Now he is savvy. He's smart. He's switched on, and he's very nervous about losing his power. So he wins the support of Mark Antony, um, and uh, kind of who is co-ruling at the time with Octavian. So these are some names that we should know. Um, and he convinced Mark Antony to then go and appoint him as the king of. Uh, Judea, okay? And he's even given an army to fight with and he goes back and battles the Parthians, right? Now, what happens is that Mark Anthony loses a civil war to Octavian, so he's now overthrown. But the problem is, is Herod has kind of aligned himself to Mark Anthony, right? And it doesn't go well when you're aligned to the guy who's just been deposed. Oftentimes, you get murdered, okay? But he's smart, and he goes, and he says to Octavian, Hey, the kind of loyalty that I show to this guy is the kind of loyalty I'm going to show to you. We're all good. We're gravy, Okay? ...and wins him over as well, okay? So he doesn't just befriend Octavian, which is really surprising. Octavian loves him so much as he expands his kingdom a little bit further, okay? The Romans love him. The Jews do not love him. Um, He is not a true Jew in the sense of the word. So he has never been in with the Jewish people, okay? And after returning from Rome with his army uh, and usurping the Parthians, uh, he, he basically sets up a fortress in Judea, okay? He rebuilds the temple in hoping to win favor of them. He still doesn't win favor with them. And so he starts to become a little bit fearful, okay? He is perpetually fearful of a revolt, is the last thing that he wants is for these Jews to rise up against him and so he puts palace fortresses all around his city so he can go and live in those and anytime there's a conflict he can kind of defend from there not only that uh, the anxiety starts to build and he starts to basically kill off anyone because he has this profound paranoia that someone's going to overthrow him right so a very unstable ruler um so much so he kills six of his own family members, okay, including his beloved wife, three of his sons, um, and Augustus, this is a quote about Herod, right? Augustus said, it is better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son because Herod doesn't eat pig. Okay, that's how serious we've got. This is, this is the leader of Bethlehem, the, uh, the governing ruler, okay? He is so paranoid when he starts to get to the end of his life that he calls in a bunch of important people for a meal at his house, okay? And he says to them, to all these people, When I die, you're all going to get killed. And the reason he does this is so that there will be weeping of families in the street, hopefully thinking that it's for his death, not for the families of the people he's going to murder over that dinner table. Okay? This is a bloodthirsty tyrant. Uh he is panicked at the news that there has been a newborn king in Bethlehem, okay? The, the idea that the magi come to him and say, hey, where's the new, new king, king of the Jews? The thing, the very thing that he has wanted to do his entire life is to be uh, loved by the Jews, and now he has just found out that there is a king born where? Calls all his team in. Where's this king? Guys, where? so they search the scrolls. They find the passage. They quote the passage to him. They say, it's going to be in Bethlehem. That's where we're going to find this good shepherd. So he calls in the Magi and he says to them, hey, when you find him, come back and tell me because I want to worship him, which is the biggest lie in the world because what is he going to do? He's going to murder them. Okay? And so what is the thing that Herod most desires to be loved by the Jews? That's the reality, is that he spends his entire ruling leadership. To try and win their affection and never attains it right and as a result descends into this bloodthirsty paranoia living in perpetual fear of revolt you have a profoundly unstable scenario and so towards the end of the passage so this is matthew 2 verse 16 when herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time from what he had learned from the magi and um, then what was said through the prophet jeremiah was fulfilled a voice is heard in ramah weeping and great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the leader of Judea. This is the person, this is the place where Jesus is born into. is... Part of the challenge with the nativity scene that we have, right, is that um, there's a few kind of imported parts that don't quite line up, okay? So the distance between Easter and uh, uh, Christmas is designed to be about nine months because birth and death, that's part of the logic. That doesn't come in until much later, okay? So Jesus, just just to... upset anyone in the room who thought Jesus's birthday was December 25th. It's not, right? (laughs) This is is part of the construct that we pull together. Um, I'm going to start to unravel it a little bit more. The idea of him being surrounded by animals is a later construct that comes in about the fourth century. Um, The idea of him being in the stable of an inn is probably an unfair representation of the translation of the word Guest house, guest room. There was no room in the guest room, so there's a likelihood that he was probably staying with a family member and there was no room in the guest house, so they were in the open living quarters at the front of the house, which is where you also have some livestock areas, okay? So you don't want people nicking your pigs. You bring them into your house, but you don't want them in your bedroom, right? So you leave them in the foyer until morning and then you can take them out. Does that make sense? Because you, they're your prized pigs. It's your prized cow. You don't want someone Nick and Betsy. Bring them in the house, but not all the way in the house. So this is, this is kind of the environment into which we find Jesus. What is, what is the, the, the Jewish people? What are the Israelites? Well, they are kind of an outlying sect. They have significant influence. They have significant impact on the community, but they don't sit at the centre of it, right? The Roman occupation, the Roman rule sits at the centre. And they know that they have to engage with these Jewish people because they're very serious about their faith. They have a lot of... uh, cultural practices that they do i'm just kind of speaking as a roman empire right like you go hey look at this guys they're doing a whole bunch of celebrations throughout the year they're very serious about their yahweh okay and they're making a significant impact on the community and so i need to appease them but i don't necessarily understand them and i find them a little frustrating yeah So church is not at the center. Jesus is not at the center. The Israelites are not the big, bad, dominant party on the block. They are an outlier. Under an incredibly bloodthirsty tyrant of a leader. You do not want to be invited to a party hosted by Herod. That's not the invitation you want to see on your desk because he's so unpredictable. He's so paranoid, you're concerned that if someone says something wrong at that party, everybody dies. And this is the place where Jesus is born. I, um, you know, I get, I get to spend some time hanging out with other pastors, which sometimes is really good, and sometimes is a giant therapy session, <laughs> you know? Uh, and when this data came out from the NCLS, you know, you, 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 could, you could reframe this to say the church is in the worst place it's ever been with the lowest attendance that it's ever had. Compared to What? When Jesus was born, there was one Christian when Jesus came on the scene. <laughs> he's it. And he's really just Christ. He hasn't become little Christian yet. I mean, I guess when he's an infant, he's little Christ. So it makes sense. But we're at one. Day dot. Okay, I'll give you the remnant of Israel. Israel. Those Jews who are faithful to the promises of Yahweh, who have not yet encountered the Son of God, and when they do, they convert. Okay, I'll give you that. But we're still tiny. We're a blip on the radar. And so I look at it and go, we've still got an incredible opportunity to share the love of Jesus and comparing Jesus' birth in Bethlehem and the the political environment to which he inhabits and the resistance to churches having any involvement in politics whatsoever, for me, is an astounding parallel, right? We don't want, we don't want Christians telling us how we should live our lives. You don't think Jesus was encountering that every single day? But we have this incredible opportunity to sow compassion, love, grace. Um, Barna released a survey um, of the largest charitable organization in the USA. Do you know what it was? Evangelical Christians. They outstripped the government and they are the largest charitable organization in the United States they contributed 300 billion dollars billion with a b to charity larger than the United States government those of us who love Jesus <laughs> are a behemoth when it comes to caring for the poor, the widower, the sojourner, or today, the developing nation, the homeless, and those less fortunate than we are. A behemoth. The data supports it. Someone says, that's not true, churches, don't do anything. You just point at the data and say, man, it's all there. We are a behemoth when it comes to being a charitable, caring organization. And so as I kind of look at this and I look at some of the data from NCLS, it doesn't help but get me excited about the year to come. I had this um. I had, I, I've had this chat a few times, but you know how I talk about the church is like a tree and the roots go into Jesus and the trunk is our community and then the, the foliage is our big giant mission, right? And we can't have the big giant mission unless the community is healthy and we're plugged into Jesus, right? Unless you've got a healthy trunk and healthy roots, you're not going to have healthy leaves. Athlete, gardener in the room, am I right? You don't get leaves unless you've got those two right. Averill, am I right? I'm just looking at my green thumbs. The only way you get green leaves is if your trunk's good and your roots are good, then you're going to get some green leaves. I've watched Gardening Australia enough to know that that's okay. I'm right. That's our thing for next year, is as we restart the mission of our church as we sow into those sojourners those developing nations we start to see the green leaves reappear but the only way we could get there is to have a healthy community with roots into Jesus and so it does not scare me that attendance is down because Jesus started at one It does not scare me that only 44% of the population sees value in church because that is a huge amount of people, (laughs) right? It's like 10 million, 8 million people. That's a lot of people. And when you've got a a post-Christian world saying that they're teaching good values... Where are those values coming from? They're coming from Jesus, aren't they? It's not a bridge too far to build a link to Jesus. What I find downing is when they say you should stay out of politics and I kind of giggle to myself, I say, well, you don't know, understand all your democratic institutions were founded on the idea of Jesus and that's the reason why you pray at the start of um, Senate, right? Like the start <laughs> Christians came up with this is that there's these beautiful little links where you can feed back in the significance of Jesus in this moment. Ashley, finally I'm getting an amen. <laughs> so it gets me excited for Christmas. It gets me excited that I can have a conversation with people and they, they say to me, can I join your service? for christmas people want the good values and the good morals which where they come from from jesus they just don't have the language or the framework to word that they want the compassion and the caring the reason because of jesus and so i find that there's a real beauty in the season that we're walking into people have had this kind of deep stock check on all the things they find valuable. And we see this leap as a result of the data to say, yeah, there's value in church. There's value in faith. I'm going to show that more next week in another video I've got um, from Ruth Powell. But what an opportunity for us as a community to sow the love of Jesus through compassion, through kindness, through goodness, through caring for the poor, and be the demonstration of his goodness. To be at a place where someone can't help but say, yeah, I know Northgate. Gosh, they're doing amazing things for the poor, for the widower, for the sojourner, whoever that might be. And we can start to see those green leaves of hope in Jesus appear on the canopy of our church. Yeah? I'll tell you right now, though, the political climate for Jesus was a heck of a lot harder than it was for us. Which gives me incredible hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. You're a heck of a lot better than Herod, that's no doubt. Lord, despite incredible political resistance, you were born a humble birth. Lord, that you might bring us new life, a new hope, a new joy, a new vigor for the next season, that we might glorify you. Lord, that we might enjoy your presence that your Holy Spirit might fill us up so we can be more bold and more courageous than we've ever been, and that we might demonstrate to hearts that are not yet awakened to you your goodness and your glory, Lord, so that we might see new life in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Yeah, good point. Listen, uh, sorry, I I need to say um, I don't often take up offering because I I do encourage you all to give online um, and that's the best way to do it. But we do have baskets that we're going to quickly pass around um, and so if you want to do it that way, obviously you're more than welcome to still do it that way. Um, Next week I'm bringing in a special guest um, because something new is going to happen on site early in the new year and I want you to all meet her And so she can share a little bit of her heart about being on mission in this community, okay? Um, And that is one of the things that we will be giving our money towards. Well, not really. I guess she's – it's a convoluted story, but it's really good. Um, I'll explain more of that next week. Uh, Yeah. Thank you.